Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today I'm speaking to Reka Rao. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, uh, thank you, Mike. Um, I am, my name is Rika Rao. I am an attorney, a solo practitioner in Princeton, New Jersey. I started my firm in 2016 and I do uh, mainly estate planning and elder law along with estate administration, guardianships and special needs. Awesome. So why don't we start a little bit with, you know, where you're from and, and your childhood. What, what was that like? Sure. Yeah, I actually grew up in India. And I, uh, most of my formative years were in India, and I came to, came to the U.S. as a young adult. Um, after a lot of detours as to, uh, you know, what I wanted to do in, uh, in, in, with my career, um, I actually ended up uh, becoming a travel agent for uh, Merrill Lynch. And so I worked as, uh, at their, the, uh, they had a travel agency called Cost and Travel that uh, was exclusively for Merrill. And I did that for a few years, but... There was a little voice in me that always wanted to go to law school and do that. And so when my daughter entered high school is when I actually went into law school. Got it. So Merrill Lynch has a basically a private travel agency? They used to. I mean, these days everything's changed with the, with the way travel works. But right. at that time, we, we were uh, their exclusive travel agency actually sitting right on their uh, Merrill Lynch campus uh, in Plainsboro, New Jersey. Interesting. I, I would have never thought, I mean, it makes sense. I, I figured they had people that would coordinate travel for, you know, events and things it, like that, but yeah, yeah. their own uh, in-house travel agents. That's interesting. Um, what, um, what was it really that wanted you to go to law school to, to be an attorney? Um, I think the cl- cliche, I always wanted to be an attorney. I think I came from a family of lawyers and that may have been a big influence on my, uh, in my world. Um, and it was just one of those things that I felt like I would be good at. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of detour, uh, along the way I ended up doing psychology and, uh, for my bat, for my undergrad and, uh, English lit for my master's and then ended up, uh, somewhere, somehow, I guess that calling, um, it, it became louder and, uh, the opportunity presented itself when I was, uh, much older. Typically with when you have a, a family of a given profession, there, there usually is a lot of pressure. It doesn't seem like your family pressured you into it. No, not at all. I think this was all me, and it was my own pressure uh, <laughs> on myself. <laughs> and uh, it was just interesting because growing up in India, your undergrad program is actually three years long. And they had just, um, I had had my heart set on doing getting into law right after 12th grade, uh, which is pre-university in India. Mm-hmm. But right when I came to the 12th grade level, they actually they were experimenting with that five-year program, and so they took it away. So they actually made me go through the undergrad program, and then by the time uh, I I finished with my undergrad, they had you know gone back to the old scheme. So it was just one of those just unfortunate things. It wasn't meant to be at that time, but uh, but it all worked out in the end. Circle back to it. Yeah. What what is this, the school life like in, in India in, in the United States, typically it's, you know, there's elementary school, which goes up to depending upon where you are, like sixth, seventh grade. And then there's, you know, junior high school or, or high school from ninth to 12th. Is it, is thing, are things similar in, in India in that capacity? 
So when I was growing up, it was not. Uh, things have changed considerably now. So they do have the 12th grade concept in India uh, as well. The one thing that's different between India and here is that when you go to school, uh, you're, you're basically in the same school, the same grounds, the same campus from kindergarten all the way through. And when I was going to school, it was through the 10th. Okay. Um, so you literally have the same group of friends from, you know, from, so some of my, my friends from when we were four years old are still good friends with me today because we all kind of hung around in the same school, the same, you know, we, we didn't get separated like, like, uh, it happens here. Right. Um, so you just kind of go through the so same school system. So in, when I was going to school, it was through the 10th and then you go into pre-university and that's when everyone um, branches out and goes to different different universities to go and get your 11th and 12th done. Got it. Interesting. Yeah, very different from here. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I've been looking at ways to, you know, we could prove our education system and, you know, I, I'm not an expert in the field and I clearly have, it's such a muddy thing to try and get into to, to adjust and fix things that have been ingrained for, you know, a century or so. But uh, yeah. it's interesting to get different you know, worldly perspectives and see how other countries do it. Yeah, and I think the one interesting thing is because you hang around with the same friend circle the whole time, your the social circle, your friend circle, is very deep. You know, it's you don't get to you don't you don't get to go into a different school system and meet. I mean, I guess there's good and bad with with both. Right. Uh, so you know, if you probably had a horrible. <laughs> childhood you're stuck until your 10th uh, you know and you're, you're stuck with the same friends but it just all worked out with our connections that were just so deep and so um you know and 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 so uh, almost like you know these friends knew everything about you right. and um and even to this day you can be completely yourself with these people because they've seen you you know from from the very beginning so it's, it's just and in you know because i had a really good um school you know experience i think for me you know this was this was very uh very nice to have yeah that, that's awesome so back to going to school to be an attorney i mean i know there's there's the the basics so to speak the basic laws and ethics and things like that what was it about estate planning and, and elderly law that that kind of attracted you and sent you down that path so that wasn't my first choice, believe it or not. I actually went to school for, uh, I went to Pace, Pace Law School, because it was known for its environmental law program. Mm -hmm. um, I always thought I was going to become an environmentalist, and, and I wanted to sort of, uh, I felt like I was the tree hugger. I wanted to do <laughs> something that made a difference um, in the environment. Uh, so everything that I did, going into law school and beyond, uh, and well, beyond as in, uh, you know, all my internships and all my clerkships, everything was related to the uh, the uh, environmental field. But then when I graduated from law school, um, the jobs that were out there, unfortunately, were not the kind of jobs I was looking for. This was all defense and cleanup, and I actually wanted to go save the world. <laughs> and so I had to do a lot of soul searching to figure out what other field would interest me and give me the same sort of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And at that time, elder law was not really a thing, but there were there was rumblings of it that just had, this was in 2000 i graduated law school in 2005 and so around 2006 or so is when um you know you started hearing the sense of you know is there there there, there should be something to help the elderly the you know the 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 um 
senior population was getting where we're living longer. And so that is when it all kind of began. And I didn't really get into elder law until much later. Uh, but when I was trying to do this, okay, so what else would I like to do? Estate planning came to mind. Elder law was part of that whole concept. Mm -hmm. And so I said, let me start with this estate planning. I had the opportunity to work with a solo who did estate planning. And so it, it uh, definitely gave me that, you know, that, that feeling like this was, this was my calling. And uh, it almost ratified uh, itself much later when I was actually, uh, I ended up in estate planning got the opportunity to start working in the elder law space. And I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I wanted to do. So um, it kind of all worked out in the end. Awesome. Um, so the, the fun question, because I think there's a, a big misunderstanding or at least a, a lack of understanding of what elderly uh, law is of what estate planning is and, and why it's so important. So the big question is, is what's so appealing about it for you first of all? Yeah, so that's a really good question, and people don't understand the, 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 first of all, there's a misconception of what estate planning is. I think a lot of people think estate planning is for the wealthy, and it's for, you know, for those who have an estate, and estate, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is these big estates and, you know, a lot of money, and uh, really, estate planning is nothing more than what you have and who it's going to, right. so you could have uh, just a modest uh, amount of wealth that you want to pass down to the next generation, and so you have to engage in estate planning to make sure that who you want to inherit your assets, get it in a way that you want them to get it, right? So if you have young kids, you want to make sure that you've got, a, you know, a trust set up for them, either in your will or in a revocable trust or in an irrevocable trust, whatever you, you know, form or vehicle you decide to pass down your wealth, um, you have to set up something uh, in place to ensure that your beneficiaries inherit your assets in the way that they need to inherit it. And along with that, of course, we have to plan for incapacity. Um, so if something happens to you along the way where you become incapacitated, then you wanna make sure that you have your powers of attorney in place, both for healthcare and finances, to ensure that someone's there who's authorized to handle your affairs so that if you are incapacitated, then uh, this person will step into your shoes and take care of your affairs. And so that then gets very closely tied to what elder planning is about because most of the clients who come to me are those who are looking at a situation where they now no longer can take care of themselves and they have some long-term care issues where they have to either have someone come home to take care of them or they need to go into a facility or an assisted, uh, a skilled nursing home or an assisted living facility. And once uh, it's determined that they need that level of care, now we have to kind of plan for how do we make their money last? How do we protect some of the assets to still go down to some of their beneficiaries and not have it all sucked up in long-term care costs? Right. And then closely tied to that is how do you make sure that if, you know, some of them are already uh, incapacitated. So how do you, how do you make sure that, they've got people of authority handling their affairs. So that's when the powers of attorney become extremely important. Yeah, the the long-term care stuff, uh, skilled nursing home facilities, assisted living facilities, it's it's kind of insane how much they charge to yeah. to, to live in. I mean, I, I've heard ranges anywhere between five to $9,000 just for a month. And if you don't... Actually, 
Yeah, actually more than that, Mike, oh, because God. there's you can you can spend up to fifteen thousand dollars a month on wow. on a facility. Well, I mean, I understand that there's depending upon the level of care that somebody needs, there is a lot that goes into it. But um, if you don't have the financial structure or the insurance type of uh, packages that to, to really deal with that, it some people can really be put in some really bad situations whether it's it's their health is going to rapidly more deteriorate faster because they're just not getting the care that they could or should get um yeah it's 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 one of those baffling how do we make it better and, and good for everybody but yeah it's it's frustrating yeah, and, and that's <laughs> that's really where my job um as an elder law attorney comes in because i actually help get a lot of my clients qualified for long-term care through Medicaid. Okay. So I, my part of the, the, the planning that goes into uh, these types of clients is how do we get them qualified for Medicaid? So do we do some pre-planning ahead of time where they're, they're, we know that they're not financially capable to afford these costs, but they still want to protect their home or their, some, of their, some of their assets, their hard-earned assets uh, mm-hmm. for their children, um, or they're, they're already in crisis mode, and how do we ensure that we get them, we, we ensure that the Medicaid kicks in when it's supposed to kick in. Got it. Um, so we actually help with the Medicaid application and all of that. There's so much red tape in, in varying aspects, and as somebody who's, who's looked into getting their health insurance and life insurance um, license, it's, there, there's so much red tape, and you really do need somebody with the expertise and understanding of of how to navigate that because you can get lost really, really quick. Yeah. And, and it's really unfortunate that a lot of people will balk at planning ahead of time just because it's so expensive right. or in their minds, they don't see the value uh, of especially long-term care insurance. And for me, uh, you know, I've seen both sides where, where I'm able to help clients who come with long-term care insurance already kicking in while we do some planning, which is great. And those who have come when they haven't had any insurance and, and then we, when we have to plan, there's less tools in the toolkit, so to speak, right. when there's, you know, lack of insurance. So it's just, you know, um, it, it is, it is a, uh, it's only going to get worse as our aging population gets older and the need for care is so great. So mm-hmm. it is a very, it is a very challenging area, but in a way for me, it's very fulfilling because this is the part that I feel like I'm giving back where I can help these clients who are really stuck without what they think are any options. And, you know, we, when we present some of these options, while it's not the best of the options that they would have preferred, you know, pref- preference for either quick death for some people, literally, right. or just, you know, a, a long, healthy life mm-hmm. would be obviously the first choice. But when they don't, when they, when they suffer some sort of a fall or they've put it, they put in this kind of a desperate situation. Um, I think what we provide is a little bit of that ray of hope that there's some, some planning that can be done and it's not, not all is lost. Right. Yeah. It's uh, in my experience as an EMT, I've, I've, run into a lot of instances of um, you know, people of advanced age who are in these various facilities. Um, I won't get into what my opinion is of most of these facilities, but you right. know, seeing, seeing the condition of some of these people, it, it, they're l- barely clinging to life, and it's not so much the facility that I fault for some of the actions that we've had to take at times, but 
it, it almost seems like people have a hard time of, of facing the reality. You know, you have somebody who's, say, 98, 99 years old, literally clinging to life, and, you know, it's the f- parent or the family's wish to, to have them go to the hospital for something relatively insignificant. Um, mm. And just seeing some of the conditions of people, it's, it's I, I'm, I'm hoping that when I get older, my kids are a little more merciful with me. Um, yeah. So yeah. when it comes to, to estate planning, what do you think is like a, a good age to kind of start getting the ball rolling? If there is a definitive age, so to speak. After last year, yesterday was the better day for everybody, <laughs> you know, because it's just, uh, you know, it, the environment that we faced last year, kids who were in their thirties were, were dying. Right. Yeah. And we had then those, of course, the elderly and then the people, all the people in between, I think there's never, uh, a wrong, wrong time or to, if it's never too early to engage in estate planning, okay. as long as you're an adult, right? So right. adult is actually over 18 and believe it or not, for many of our 18 year old clients, uh, who are children of our, you know, our, our, the parent, the parents come to us initially for doing their planning. And we actually get powers of attorney done for these 18 year olds because, and of course, New Jersey, the age of, uh, emancipation is 18. And so, uh, when they, go off to college and God forbid there's a uh, health event and they need to be treated at the hospital. Uh, many families are distressed when the doctors don't speak, to, are not able to speak to the parents because right. the child is now an adult. So, you know, starting with the power of attorney as, as early as age 18 is not a bad idea at all. Um, and then of course, as you start working and as you start uh, accumulating some assets, and um, if you don't have your mom or your dad or some other significant other as a joint account holder with you, then it's probably a good idea to get at least a simple will done mm-hmm. to formalize your intentions. And again, those incapacity documents are just as crucial because if you know you go into a coma or some sort of a vegetative state, you want to make sure that you know you're 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 planning and thinking about these issues and you're not leaving it up to the state to determine what should happen. I think a lot of people bulk at it initially because, you know, one, they don't want to think about things like that. They don't want to think about the bad end or, or, or the, what could possibly happen. Um, so it's, it's a matter of, uh, it's not going to happen to me, but you're right. If I'm sitting in a, in a vegetative state and unable to communicate my wishes, I want somebody that's, that I know is going to advocate for my best interest. Um, it, that definitely makes, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <clears throat> what are, yeah, and sometimes it may, and sometimes it may be that you don't want your family involved because of whatever reason I had, had one um, lady who, you know, they had a young, they had a, a, a little, I think a three-year-old at that time. And she said, I don't want my sister being my child's guardian because she has just a different philosophy than me. Mm-hmm. And I don't want her anywhere near my child. <laughs> and if she didn't, if she doesn't formalize those intentions on paper in a will, then, you know, her sister gets first priority uh, according to the, you know, what the state says. Right. And so it's really important to kind of have those thoughts when you, when, when these are, seems like simple things and, and you're right, you know, people don't want to think about it. They don't want to face that you know, where they say it's not going to happen to me now, you know, it happens to somebody else. Uh, but it's so important to just get your affairs organized. I always say to my clients, you know, think as if death happened yesterday. What would, would you want to do? Mm-hmm. And then get your affairs organized and then don't think about it until the next life change happens, you know? Right. So it's, uh, it's so much easier doing it when things are 
when things are not in crisis mode. So what are, I, I guess, some of the, the minimal things that you think people should have at least the ball rolling on um, when they turn 18 or, or in the positions where they start accumulating things that could be considered in the state? So I think definitely for the 18-year-old and, you know, up through when they start accumulating, accumulating wealth, they have some powers of attorney in place. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't think about this, but our world is now so digital, but keeping all of your assets, a list of your assets, and maybe even having a place for all your passwords, right? So mm -hmm. those are things that, especially for the youngsters these days, everything is online. And uh, if something happens, happens to these children do the parents know where the you know how to access their you know their computers or their their bank accounts right. uh if they're not on a joint account with their parents then you know these passwords become a very important thing so when we start with a plan or if we're doing a simple will and a, a power of attorney for a, a client we also prepare a spreadsheet with all of their assets May not be much when they begin, but as they grow, we hope you know as the assets grow and as the the children grow up, we're hoping that those that asset spreadsheet just becomes bigger and bigger. But at least to start with that, right? To put all of your assets on a spreadsheet because your will is not going to address that. Some right. wills do, but most of the time, you know, we don't we don't want to put it in the will because you don't want to keep changing your will each time your assets change. <laughs> yeah. So you want to have in that as a in a spreadsheet, and we prepare all of that and we do it. We gear it in a way to sort of make it very easy upon a state administration. If death happens, you know, the executor can just, you know, look at the spreadsheet and see what's in the estate. And we really empower the clients to say, you know, keep this updated every year. And if you can't do it, we'll do it for you on a annual membership program. Um, we have, we have a program that we can, we offer to our clients, but that's the minimal. <clears throat> and if people don't want to, do too much, just, you know, at least even formalize your intentions on paper on your own. You know, if you, right. it, I don't recommend that because sometimes you don't know what you don't know, but for a simple estate, and if that's all you're, <clears throat> if you're trying to make sure that, you know, you want to just formalize your intentions, then just even putting it down on a paper wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. You mentioned a, a particular role a second ago about the executor. Can you elaborate what the executor is and what they do? Sure. So an executor, you know, the easiest way to explain that is uh, someone who's like a manager of the estate. They're definitely a fiduciary, which means that they have, you know, it's a trusted role. And their job is to really do what's in the best interest of the beneficiaries. So um, I look at it as a temporary appointment. You basically, uh, when death happens, this person who's named as the executor will take the will to the surrogate's office of the county where the, the decedent uh, lived and submit the will for probate and their job is after they get appointed and they get the authority to act on behalf of the estate their job is to really then follow the directions under the will and ensure that the beneficiaries get the assets pursuant to the will got it i, I asked that because i i'm actually the executor for three people uh three family members so i was just wanted to Make sure I knew what I was getting myself into, so to speak, wow. when I agreed to it. Wow, three people, so they trusted you enough. <laughs> uh, apparently, I'm a very trusting person. <laughs> um, since you, again, since you brought it up, uh, can you elaborate? Because I, I think a lot of people have heard probate and heard probate courts and, and things like that. Can you elaborate what that court does? Well, I think each right state... Yeah, each state does it a little differently. New Jersey, where I live, is uh, we call our court system 
at least the probate court system as uh, a, a relatively easy system to navigate. But really what the process of probate means is when you admit the will into probate, it means that the court then has some oversight on what the executor is doing and keeps tabs on the executor, ask the executor to follow certain rules and procedures to make sure that uh, the court's um, sort of the oversight is still adhered to and you follow all the formalities. And at the end of the estate administration process, after all the taxes have been paid, the debts have been paid off, and the money is then distributed to the estate, you, uh, to the beneficiaries, you basically then file your uh, sort of your filings with the court to say you're now done, and you've gotten the releases from all the beneficiaries to say that they've accepted their money and they've released you from liability, and uh, you close up the estate. And so it's really, the probate process is sort of uh, a process where the court has oversight. There are other ways that you can prepare your estate plan. I mentioned the word revocable living trust before. Mm-hmm. Um, if you set up these trusts, you avoid the court oversight when you do that, um, and then you make it a more private affair, and you still have to f- pay all the debts and pay off all the taxes and any liens that are on the estate, but now the court doesn't have any say in the matter unless there's a dispute and somebody files a suit against the, uh, the trustee at that point. Got it. So given the very broad spectrum and the number of moving pieces that could be involved in estate planning. Are there other uh, professional services uh, or, or people that you interact with and, and kind of work with on a regular basis, like um, insurance agents and financial advisors and people like that? Um, you know, we, we work with them a lot on the planning side. And so when we're getting uh, clients' affairs organized, then we work with the advi- the insurance agents and the advisors to make sure that all beneficiary designations are all titled properly and updated. Uh, the ownership is all updated properly based on the estate plan that we set up. Um, on the back end, once somebody dies, you're dealing a lot with the institutions because now you're actually trying to get either the retirement accounts rolled over or you're working with the insurance agent, uh, insurance company to actually write out the, the checks to the different beneficiaries named. Um, so you're actually working on the back end. And <clears throat> there is some element of working with the advisors uh, who may have been involved from the get-go. But uh, if they weren't, then here now you're going to be working with institutions directly. Got it. Um, we, you, you mentioned it earlier uh, about guardianship and one of the reasons why I was really eager to talk to you, uh, was based off of one, a movie that I saw and two, an episode of a Netflix documentary that I saw about specifically about guardianship. Um, the episode is it's from dirty money. It's uh, season two, I believe episode five, it's called guardianship Inc, which I found out trying to, to look into it that one of the attorneys that was involved in that particular episode didn't like the way he was portrayed and sued to have it pulled. So you can't see it on Netflix. You might have to do a little searching on uh, the internet for it. But it was it was highly interesting and, and aggravating and, and frustrating. Um, why does it seem that people who are seek to be legal guardians for others, specifically um, elderly, why does it seem that it's so unregulated or underregulated for that matter? 
you know, yeah, I mean, I haven't watched that episode and uh, <laughs> I, I probably never will because it does bother me that there are so many attorneys who are really held to a higher standard. And when they abuse the system, it's very disheartening yeah. because my fellow colleagues, uh, you know, are really, we're here to help clients and not harm them. And mm -hmm. so when you hear of these kind of things, it's very, um, it's very upsetting. Uh, but to answer your question about why the guardianship process is so unregulated, I think uh, it, it definitely needs some sort of an overhaul. And I know the court systems keep trying to do that every now and then. Every so often you will see some, some um, <clears throat> desire or action from the court to try and stir things up and change it for the better. Right. The problem is, has been that I think there's just so much um, – there's so much work to be done in so many different areas. And this is just one more area where they're probably just understaffed and overworked, right? right? Because you've got <clears throat> all these people who are aging and the, the, you know, statistics show that, you know, cases of Alzheimer and dementia are all just on the rise. Mm -hmm. And you've got so much more incapacity that's setting in before people are getting their estate plans done. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important to get your planning done ahead of time before a crisis hits, because if you don't have a simple, actually, believe it or not, they call the power of attorney a poor man's guardianship. If you don't have a power of attorney in place, naming somebody you trust as the person who should manage your affairs, um, now throw in some, you know, disputing children and uh, unhappy beneficiaries, you've got everything just poised for uh, a stranger now to just take over uh, the role of a guardian of caring for your mom or dad or, you know, a loved one. And these are people who are, who get appointed by the courts and they're supposed to be, again, because the guardianship, the guardian is a fiduciary, they're supposed to be acting in the best interests of the incapacitated individual. Right. And, un and unfortunately this is this role, this, this position is a real position of power because they're stepping into the shoes of the person to do whatever that person is not able to do now right? and what they could do before. So the guardianship process itself is actually a very, in my opinion, a very formal, um, formal process that if it's adhered to properly, the checks and balances are all sort of taken care of. You've got a court appointed attorney who's, who goes and investigates who makes sure that the people who are applying, who are submitting the petition for guardianship, they're they're all doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, they're not out to get the person's money. They're there because they want to care about being the guardian for this person. Um, and then if there's no one, that's when the Office of Public, Gar Public Guardian comes in or a third party is, is uh, named as a guardian for the person. Um, all of this could have been avoided if they had just gotten their plans in place ahead of time. Right. But um, yeah, but to answer your question, there's just too many people and just too little time for the courts to get uh, to really get this this thing straight. I, I know it's all poised for an, an overhaul and I don't know when that will happen, uh, but I know that they keep trying. I don't think I, I, I've thought about it that the way you put it and it makes perfect sense. It, it, one easy way to avoid a lot of the stuff that, you know, the the bad stories that we see from, from guardianships could just simply be avoided by somebody saying, Hey, if, if I'm in capacity, this is the person I want to, to kind of take care of things, so to speak. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are, 
problems with that as well, right? Because the person you named could actually also defraud you. Right. You may have named one child and that child could deplete your account uh, during your lifetime. Right. And uh, meanwhile, the other children have no idea what this person who's appointed as the power of attorney is doing. And so there's definitely room for abuse. And even that has its own, you know, uh, pros and cons. But the guardian, but getting strangers into your life is could definitely be avoided if you had some if you gave this some thought and put in people who you trusted at least as 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 best as you could during you know your your competency period right and yeah i mean anybody anybody could be could take advantage of any situation if they they put the right i guess uh effort into it um mm -hmm. but it it seems like some of the things that I've seen, uh, you know, both in that particular episode and, and other stories that I read about the bad side of guardianship, um, it, it seems like these people could have been better protected had they had that little document in place. But, Absolutely. I mean, I am re reminded of a, <clears throat> a situation where we were helping a, a lady who fell at a, a nursing home. And um, she had a bookkeeper who used to be pretty much her only friend who would go in once a month and, you know, help her with her bills and, and take care of her. And, and along, you know, some of those visits and, com and conversations, she would say that, you know, I don't want my nieces ever getting near my money because they are, you know, they're not, they're, they're only after my money. So right. uh, I just want somebody else to handle my money. And she was a single person and, um, you know, this bookkeeper would say, just get your wills done. And she didn't. And of course, then a guardian was appointed who she didn't know. And, and unfortunately, the nieces brought, were brought back because they're family. Right. So there's always going to be situations like that, which could have really, you know, a simple formalizing of your intentions, using the proper documents and having a, an attorney guide you, you know, you don't want to try doing these things yourself, you want to have a proper estate planning or elder law attorney guide you. Um, because then this way we can make sure that the documents that we're preparing are, uh, they hold up in court right. and they're not going to be susceptible to challenges. Yeah. I, I, I strongly recommend anybody to do anything that that's that important to, to definitely seek the, the council of experts of the people that can really know how to navigate the, the vast labyrinth that some of these processes are. Um, yeah. so uh, enough with all the. The, the shop talk, so to speak. What uh, what type of things do you like to do recreationally? Ooh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I love to go on long walks, uh, hikes, and I, I love hikes, uh, hiking with my husband to some of these really nice trails in and around New Jersey. Um, when pre-COVID, I used to love going and uh, watching movies in, at the theater. <laughs> so <laughs> that used to be a nice, uh, fun thing to do as well. Um, and, uh, I would love to get back into golf. I have not played golf in a while, in a while, but I used to, and uh, I would love to, to get back into that. Uh, right now I'm just busy running my practice and right. because I'm a solo practitioner, I'm wearing many hats. So, <laughs> uh, I'm waiting for when I can have a smooth, well-oiled machine so I can go and explore some of those hobbies. That's definitely some good things. I've, I've golfed once in my life. Um, it was fun. <laughs> Um, I'm not very good at it. Uh, I'm not even good at you know going to the driving range, but uh, it's good for walking. <laughs> it is. Maybe you and I should go because that way it's been a long time since I've played. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, I won't, I'll make you look good. Trust me. What about um what 
uh, travel destinations and, and uh, vacation spots? Where do you have a, a preference to that? You know, again, speaking pre-COVID. Um, well, I still have family back in India, so I love going back whenever I get the opportunity. Um, we haven't traveled uh, overseas, or we actually haven't traveled anywhere uh, on a plane since last year. Um, but uh, the next destiny, I, we have traveled a lot around uh, the world, but the next uh, travel spot, which, believe it or not, I have not set foot in yet, is Italy. I would love to go back to, uh, to, go to Italy and and. Uh, and you know, treat that as a, a nice vacation when everything has settled down with the, with the COVID situation. Yeah, definitely. One, that's on my bucket list of, of places to go to. There's a handful of places in Europe I would love to to get to and see the the very historical sites. I'm, a, I'm pretty pretty interested in history, and I love castles and and the the, the medieval time frame of of life. I would love oh, to get yeah. over there and yeah. you know, that, see that the, would be a perfect place to that. <clears throat> see all those big castles and everything that only see in pictures. So me too. <laughs> now is the, the fun time of you know the, the questions that I asked that are completely nonsensical and it, it's just for fun <laughs> and to, to end things on you know a, an up note. So the first question okay. is: Would you rather have Columbo or Matlock on the case if you were murdered? Columbo. <laughs> 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 Any reason why you so quickly picked him over Matlock? Well, he was our favorite. My husband and I watched uh, pretty much all of his shows, uh, and we uh, we just think that he's got this really cool, very humble, simple way of starting every episode, mm -hmm. and then uh, you know asking the questions that seem so dumb initially, and then just nailing it right on the you know on the head yeah. towards the end. So I uh, we really enjoyed. Uh, I, I would say I, I I I'm a fan of his show. I I grew up watching both of them, and there's a lot of parallels between the two. They're they are both these kind of bumbling, unassuming people that people just don't take seriously but they nail it every time now granted it's a tv yeah. show and <laughs> yeah there's creative license and stuff like that but i think i'd have to go with matlock there was just something about his uh. his delivery <laughs> my grandmother was a huge matlock fan um you know plus going back with you know um and i'm drawing a blank on it, um mayberry and all that that mm. that's kind of that that lineage with him is is why i stick with that so Gotcha. Next question. Would you rather whack a piata or play whack-a-mole? Ah, I, uh, I did not mention this, but I used to play the piano. So <laughs> I will take the piano hands down. I actually did about eight years of piano growing up. So, uh, yeah, that is, that is truly my love. <laughs> I've, I have zero musicianship. I've tried playing the drums. I've tried playing the guitar. I've tried playing bass guitar. I've tried playing the violin. I've tried... Uh, piano, I, I've tried it all, and I just I have no musicianship. I absolutely love music of of all genres. Like mm. literally, if you go through my iTunes, you're, you would think that I'm I'm crazy with the, the various things that I have on a rapid current repeat. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> but I just have no ability to to play at all. You're a listener, not a player. <laughs> I'm a lover, not a player. Yes. <laughs> would you rather have high expectations or never expect too much? Oh, definitely high expectations. I, I was trying to think about the best way to go about this. And if you constantly have high, high expectations, there's a high probability you're going to get let down more often. Hmm. And if you 
I, I would go with never expect too much because then you could at least be always overwhelmed with the unexpected good stuff that comes out of things. Hmm. I like, I like how you, how you spun that. Uh, but <laughs> I think for me, I think, um, I've got too many, um, lofty goals that I am still trying to accomplish. And so if I didn't set my expectations high enough, then I will not, um, then I feel that I'm not leading, uh, my life the way I want to lead. So it's more sense. about my own personal sort of uh, goals that I have uh, laid out. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm eager and excited to accomplish them. So I, I, I think I don't want to look back. <laughs> I, I love that perspective. It's, it's the, the mentality of aim high and reach far. <clears throat> we hope. You can only try. <laughs> exactly. As, as the great hockey player uh, said, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So. Mm-hmm. That's. Uh, that's true too. Next question. Would you rather have a photographic memory or an exceptional problem solving skills? Ooh, th this has, this is touching upon something that I'm very, uh, this is a sensitive spot because oh. I always claim that I don't <laughs> have a very good memory. So I think I would love to get a photographic memory because that's something that I wish I had and I do not. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I would definitely rather have a photographic memory because I think having that memory would make you an exceptional problem, so problem yeah, solver. Absolutely. You, you'd have be able to recall so many different things. It's like, well, I can put this piece together better than the other people because I remember yeah. things and I have an absolutely atrocious memory as well. So. <laughs> I remember obscure things and, and things that aren't important, but don't ask me what I ate like yesterday and things like that. So, right, right. <laughs> See, and then, uh, and then we, you, you and I could, you could be Matlock and I could be Columbo and we'll go around <laughs> solving problems. <laughs> I'm a retired cop. So, you know, there's, there's that as an ah. added bonus to it. So. <laughs> Oh, and the last, wow. <laughs> the last question. Oh, trust me, I'm a jackass of all trades. Um, <laughs> last question. Would you rather have a show on Animal Planet or Food Network? Um, I think I'm, you know, the, the it started off with me wanting to be the environmental environmentalist, and that's nature for me. And so I think I'm, you know, very closely tied to the animal kingdom. <laughs> um, and so I will take the first one. I animal planet. <laughs> I, I honestly I, I can't answer that because I, I have an affinity for animals. I love animals. I love nature. Um, but I also love food <laughs> and love I love food. I, you know, I, I do, I do love food too, but, uh, I also know that, uh, that it doesn't do my waistline any good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat. So, <laughs> so where can, if people wanted to, to contact you, how would they go about doing that? Sure. So, um, as I mentioned, my firm is in Princeton, New Jersey. My ad, the address is 14 Farber Road. We're actually uh, the tenants of uh, the a nonprofit organization called Community Options, which is uh, which is great. They uh, they actually help adults with special needs, and so we we have a shared office space within their building, um, right in the heart of Princeton. Mm -hmm. And my telephone number is 609-372-2855. I would love to hear from uh, anyone who's listening to the show. I will absolutely make sure that that information is put into the show notes so people can reach out to you if they want to. Perfect. Thank I you. Thank you very much for your time. And I hope that you have a good, healthy rest of the year. <laughs> thank you. You too. I had a lot of fun.
doing this. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.